Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We have been going through the epistle of the or letter to the Galatian churches. There was a number of them. But this was the writing of the Apostle Paul. We're in chapter 5. And there's only one more chapter. Um, and we're getting to kind of the, the end of the letter where some conclusions are made, some pretty harsh statements are made. Uh, he per- prevented or uh, promoted his case, the problem, the solution, you know, the reason for the problem. Everything has been discussed. And we're in chapter 5. Um, Last week, we, we saw another uh, conclusion about the fact that they would be severed from Christ if they went back to the law. Uh, once again, uh, some of them had never been under law, and the, uh, they were Gentiles. But this was a real issue for them. And the apostle is doing a masterful job of of presenting scenario after scenario where they can see the difference they should be able to understand. So the Apostle Paul is, I like the word reasoning. He was trying to reason with them from their own experience and from the scripture itself, certainly from the history of, the, of God's covenant people, um, which would have been the, the scriptures according to the Jews and the rest of the world. He does a wonderful job in doing so. But he wants them to remember his words. In other words, remember the gospel that I first preached when I came to you. Remember what was said. Remember what you believed and said. This is as though God was speaking to us himself. They believed. They accepted these things. But you see, it wasn't very long before there was issues. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, when when we think about the scope of time here, um, the church had been in the world for not even 30 years. I mean, a lot of us here have been in the church for far longer than 30 years. Um, think about that time frame. A lot of things are happening here in our New Testament writings. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they began, of course, uh, in the uh, mid-30s and ended up uh, in about the mid-60s. That's when the writings were. And, and we've got to understand that there's a lot of newness in all of this. But I think that this idea of trying to remember what has been, has been told to us 
and given to us by God, I, I think it's a familiar occurrence throughout the entire Bible. Did Adam and Eve forget what God said about the tree and the fruit on it? Just put it in your mind. Did they forget about that? Did the people of Noah's day forget the precepts of righteous and godly ways? There was very little godliness anywhere anywhere, and at any time then at that particular time. Did the Jewish people forget the words of Moses? And the law and the commandments and everything that was said to them over and over again in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 28 is a good place to read. You know, they said they would not forget. Did did God's people forget the admonishments of the prophets of God through through the years and years? God speaking through the prophets, trying to reaffirm those things that they had been told and had been given in times past? Did the new Christians forget the gospel once delivered by the apostles and the first evangelists? Did they forget? Bring it up to today, have the hundreds or maybe some say even thousands of denominations within Christendom today, have they forgot how to apply the, the apostolic doctrine to their own assemblies where they're at so they can at least say that they're worthy of the calling that the scripture tells them about. So my question is this, is all of this error and departure of men and women from the beginnings of creation all the way through history just the fault of a bad memory? You know, if it's just a bad memory, we can say, look, I, I'm just a created being. My memory is what is, it is what it is. That's not my fault. But is it a bad memory? Or is it just plain open rebellion towards God and what he has said? I'm not going to answer that question. I want you to ponder it for yourself. But it seems that people have the ability to remember quite well in other areas. I mean, there's people that have held a grudge in their entire life and went to the grave with it. So then it's just God's word and the precepts coming from him that is, seems to be impossible to retain. I, I think that we got a lot of work to do. <laughs> the, uh, uh, you know, you just think about it. I, I know people, they know what they like, and they always like the same thing, and that's the way it is. They know what they dislike. If we've got that ability, then let's get, fall in line with those things as far as according to our Creator. So I think this failing is not just something that happened to the Gentile Christians uh, in the area of Galatia uh, uh, around 50, 51, 52 A.D. um, in that time period. 
I don't think it just happened to them. I don't think the bad memory was just then. And I just have to say, even now, we suffer from the same lack of remembering. And I think God and his patience is incredible. I think patience is too big a word or we don't put enough emphasis on it because it has to be hard to deal with. And when I think about these things like this, I feel a really a, a personal burden to do better uh, with, to overcome this problem in my own life. And I hope to help others do the same thing. And I hope you feel the same way. Because this is an issue. Um, I think about all the passages in the Old Testament where God says, come, let us reason together. And, and all of the other things where men come up with these scenarios of uh, my grandfather was a bad man, so what, I'm a bad man. And, and all of these things that men have come up with that just aren't true. And God has said they're not true. So that's how I want to preface what, 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 how we're, where we go now in Galatians 5, verse 7. I'm looking at the American Standard Version. Uh, go back to that this week uh, for no particular reason other than I did it. Uh, Galatians 5, 7 through 9. Let's hear these verses. You were running well. Who hindered you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion came not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Boy, he's got little short statements, but they they cut pretty deep, don't they? (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, who hindered you? I think he wanted them to remember their name and what they looked like. Who was it that came to you with this? Because it wasn't one of the apostles, all right? It was somebody else came to you with this other uh, so-called other gospel or additional provisions that the Judaizers were talking about. And then he says, who is it that called you to the faith. He wants them to remember now who that was. I want to go to John chapter 6. I love this little short passage because it's Jesus speaking about some very important things. Uh, John 6 verse 41 And, of course, he's talking to the Jews, and he's having kind of a back and forth here. Um, But he expressing himself very well. Verse 41, the Jews therefore murmured concerning him, that is Jesus, because he said, I am the bread which came down out of heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How doth he now say, I come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and saith unto them, Murmur not amongst yourselves. No man 
can come to me except the Father that sent me draw him, and I will raise him up in the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone that hath heard from the Father and hath learned cometh unto me. Now, of course, this is very messianic uh, passage. Uh, he's trying to bring them to this understanding. I like the, the phrase here, no man can come to me except the Father that sent me draw him. I know this is a favorite verse of those that believe in predestination. In other words, you have no choice. God drags you into the kingdom and blesses you even though you don't like him. Things of that sort. Now that's not how it's presented by the Calvinists, but nonetheless, that's what it would be. But you see, that word in English, we can make that say anything we want. But in the original language, that, that word is uh, very clear. It, uh, the word draw is, is drawn through. In other words, through words, uh, interest. An interest in what, uh, what things are of God, let's say in this case. Morally, mentally, um, it's an attraction. Like the power of the gospel in Romans 1.16. You see, just hearing those words, there's a power within those words. Uh, they're not words of men. They're words that came from heaven. So when my father draw them, they're drawn through an interest in what it is being said. Instead of being taken by against their will to be drugged or dragged however you want to look at it, uh, th that is certainly not the case here. So this is a wonderful verse, a wonderful passage that shows everything as far as the free will of man to actually come to God on this level, on, on a mental, intellectual level, to know and look and understand and seek God uh, where he can be found. Now, we also know about the hindering. It's certainly not by the, the will of the Lord that they be hindered in the gospel message. But the false teachers that came amongst them, those are the ones that are hindering them. But he wants to remember who they were. He talks about their calling. Well, the calling is very important. And I, when I think of that, I think of uh, Ephesians chapter 4, a very familiar passages, uh, or passage. Had it there just a second. Ephesians 4, actually on, on verse uh, 4 through 6. Pages are sticking together. Here we go. Four through six. Of course, the apostle speaking to the church here in Ephesus. Remind, or, uh, yeah, uh, Ephesus. He's reminding them of some great truths here. Four, four. There is one body, 
and one spirit, even as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You see, there's a oneness of a calling that we need to be aware of. And this was the problem. The Judaizers came with not one, not the one message, but an additional message. Something else, something additional, which was, of course, not, not proper. And this passage that I read is, talks about leaven. And there's an idea about a little leaven spoils the whole batch. We've all heard that. Well, is it spoiled? Because we eat a lot of leavened uh, bread. It's good, right? But when it's supposed to be unleavened, <laughs> leaven spoils it. You see what I mean? That's, that's the idea. And when it comes to the gospel first presented, the gospel brought by the apostles, from the very mind of Christ through the mouth of the apostles, to add something to that is leaven. And it spoils it. Even just taking some of what the Judaizers were teaching. And I'm sure there was all sorts of efforts. Well, I can't buy the whole thing, but you know, that seems right. No, that's not right. So, and, and we deal with this all the time. We deal with this all the time when it comes to the idea of Christianity. Um, there's libraries and libraries full of books about Christianity that are teaching something opposite of what the scriptures do. Now, that's a problem. So a little of the Judaizers leaven poisons and pollutes what is pure. And it makes it useless. And we know how things a little bit of something can make something that we've done very useless, um, and it's not—it's not a good—it's not a good thought. That's what he's trying to say here. As we go on in this passage, I like how Paul has—he has confidence in them that they will do the right thing. You know, that's the attitude we need to have all the time. We need to have confidence in our brethren that they will do the right thing even if sometimes they don't. If we don't have any confidence that they will, what does that say? So he has great confidence in, in, in this, I believe. In verse 10 through 13, listen to what Paul says to them. I have confidence to you, Lord, in the Lord, that you will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then hath the stumbling block of the cross been done away? I would, I would that they that unsettled you would go even beyond circumcision. For you, brethren, were called for freedom. Only use not your freedom for an occasion to the flesh, but through love be servants one 
to another. Paul had confidence. It was good to hear him say it. I'm sure it was good for them to hear him say it. You know, we're reading someone else's mail here. Uh, remember that. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's still good because the human condition is pretty much the same, even though the location may be different and a few other things. But he exhorts them in a number of things. And I like the idea of he means to adopt no other view towards the gospel. Can we make a promise to ourselves that's just what we'll do? Because we need to. What's presented in the word of God, when you have confidences that the scriptures are the word of God, then I think it would follow very closely that you're not going to allow or, or adopt any other view towards what it says. Now, the search into what it actually says is also your, uh, your responsibility. Just like that word that I mentioned up here, uh, draw. Uh, you need to find out that, that the word draw doesn't mean that they were, that you're forcibly taken from where you are to somewhere else without your permission. You see, that doesn't, that doesn't exist in God's mind. That's not what he does to people. That's the beauty of creation. Now, the idea of the stumbling block is, um, according to the scriptures, according to the apostles, the stumbling block for the Jews was the cross and the blood of Christ that forgave sins for all. It forgave the sins of the righteous before the cross and will continue to forgive the sins uh, of those after the cross. In other words, the Jewish system had been fulfilled. It was over. It was of no use at that point. Why? Because all of that was awaiting the Redeemer, awaiting the Messiah, awaiting the true forgiveness of sin. Now, you know, they moved it ahead every year, but it took the blood of Christ that we remember here around this table. It took the blood of Christ to remove sin. Without, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. That's an eternal law that God has that God has spoken and that we are bound to. We have to understand it. The stumbling block. Um, matter of fact, uh, Hebrews 9. Read Hebrews 9 in your own time and, and, and see how all these things um, fit. Done once for all. Let's look at Isaiah 28, verses 15 through 18. This was, a, this was a passage the Jews would have known from Isaiah. And, of course, God knew the hearts of people. Isaiah 28, 15 through 18. And this is what said, Because you have said we have made a covenant with death and with Sheol, 
Are we an, at agreement? When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us, <coughs> for we have made lies uh, our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. Therefore, thus saith the Lord Jehovah, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone of sure foundation. He that believeth shall not be in haste. And I will make judgment the line and righteousness the plummet. And the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies and the water shall overflow the hiding place. And your covenant with death shall not be annulled. And your agreement with Sheol shall not stand when the overflowing scourge shall pass through. Then shall you be trodden down by it. Who's God speaking to? The Jewish people, right? They had lots of thoughts that they were going to, they were going to escape the penalty of, being, uh, of falling away from God's plan. God made it very clear they wouldn't. And he made a a prophecy of the uh, stumbling block, the cornerstone. Who is that? If not Christ, right? That's what the apostles preached. All the Jews that that heard the message, they understood this. They saw that it was prophesied by Isaiah. Now, I have a little, I mean... A stumbling block, um, maybe that doesn't mean that much to you. It doesn't mean a whole lot to me, but I see the, I, I see how it how it is the case. The stumbling means that we're just not we're not where we need to be. Uh, we've stumbled over something that has changed a, a direction, because the chief cornerstone is Christ, and you know the cornerstone not only is the Biggest stone in the foundation is very visible, but it also sets the direction. And you know, setting the direction for people is what the Lord was doing, is what the church does. Um, not well today, because the direction seems uh, almost indefinite to people as they look at what is Christendom today. But they can rediscover through God's word what it is. And then he issued the issue of love. That's how that last verse, verse 13, ends up. Through love, serve one another. Well, that's a wonderful thing to say. But in practice, that, that's what we, how, what we need to do. And then liberty in Christ is permissible, isn't it? It's a privilege of being in Christ to have that liberty. But liberty is never a license to sin. And what makes the difference here is this. Love constrains us to be righteous, to do the right thing, where the commandment fails us. Isn't that what makes us do the right thing now? 
If we look at, I mean, even people that have no covenant-minded uh, uh, thinking, they still understand that it's when they really love something is when they do the right thing towards that one or, or that particular thing. And a commandment means nothing if there's no love. The love, that's right. It's the love that wasn't even in the vocabulary of people before the time of Christ. The highest form of love in the Greek language was the, um, uh, what, what's the word, uh, phil- philanthropic uh, thinking, philanthropic people. Uh, um, a man or a person that would help another person just because they loved people. That was a, that was a high form of love. But agape came in to replace that with another, a new number one. <laughs> it moved down to number two. And, and then there's all sorts of ideas to look at love. A good study of that is in John, the last chapter, when Jesus is speaking to Peter. We can't do it in our, then the English doesn't lay it out the way it should be, but it's, a, it's quite a subject, uh, the issue of love. So seek love and put no faith in certainty that the world promises. If you seek God, if you seek love, the world promises certainty in every, every aspect, and it never, ever works out that way. It never happens. There's always a fly in the ointment, as they say. <laughs> you know, in the last, the last two verses, uh, that we're going to look at today, 14 and 15, in Galatians 5. The apostle brings it right down to uh, a level that they should be understanding. In verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Oh, that's, that's a very important statement, isn't it? Even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. See, that's what Jesus taught. Verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. The gravity of those those verses is really important. Um, that issue. Let, I want to look at at that quickly. Romans thirteen eight. Uh, there's some passages. I got three of them real quick. Romans thirteen eight, where we read about this idea. Thirteen eight says, "Oh, no man anything save to love one another." For he that loveth his neighbor hath fulfilled the law. That's a concept we need to remember. That's what Jesus was saying. And by the way, didn't he also model exactly the same thing by going to the cross? Jesus fulfilled the law in love. It was love that put 
Christ on the cross, love for the creation, for man to do something that man could not do for himself. And then in Romans uh, 12, just go back a chapter here, 12, 9 through 11, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. In love of the brethren, be tenderly affectioned to one another. In honor, preferring one another. In diligence, not slothful, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And it goes on with more admonition here. And then in Matthew 7, go back to the source of this. Matthew 7, 12, which I think is called the golden rule. All things, therefore, whatsoever you would that men should do unto you, even so do you unto them, for this is the law and the prophets. So just just picture this, if you will. The Ten Commandments and all the different laws and regulations that were added to the great promise that Abraham received for the Jewish people, um, all of that was to do what? To show them how to live, how to get along with each other, how to treat each other, And if they would have held to those things, they would have been so much better off. But that's not the way history portrays uh, them or anyone else. That's not what happens. The golden rule is a good thing. It's, It's considered by everyone to be true, and yet to find it modeled is... uh, Uh, Well, I'd have to say that as a rule, people do kind of live this way. It it seems, I don't know, maybe it's the folks you you travel in or amongst that may give you the idea that this is more common than uncommon. But certainly if it happens, even amongst people that have uh, issues, uh, there's always a, a, a reward for this sort of action. Love is the reality of being right with God. That is the love spoken of in these previous verses here. But we know that love never devours one another with their hands or with their words or with their attitudes. This is a lesson, I think, that it takes a lifetime to really perfect, if we ever do. Because, and you know, this is a discovery since I've been a boy. You know, the truth of God's Word is a wonderful thing to know. But you know, it's bombarded by so many other things, so many other words, so many attitudes, so so many uh, uh, the uh, body language, uh, the the antis, you can't do this, you can't do that. Um, of course you know that, 
but it doesn't have to be told to you every day, you know, that sort of thing. It gets to where it can become a problem. So adding to the truth with opinion somehow weakens the truth. We have to be careful about our opinions. Um, We should be garnering our thoughts using truth as the foundation instead of the at the end of our uh, our our words we try to circular navigate the whole thing and make it true because god said so uh that i think that can be dangerous so i think paul was successful in what he did here amongst the churches although you know i i read a verse here a um, number of weeks back that talked about the fact, uh, I think it's in Timothy, uh, 1st or 2nd Timothy, 2nd Timothy, I believe. But he said to Timothy, as you know, all from, from Asia have deserted me. Now, I don't know the full weight or intent of that. It was certainly written after this letter to the Galatian churches. I don't know if it was due to Judaizing or it was due to the great persecution that the Romans had put upon not only the Christians, but the Jews at that very time. Maybe that was the thought. And forcing, you know, the idea of the Romans was they were forcing Jews and Christians to recant their faith because to a Roman, Jews and Christians were atheists. They didn't believe in the true gods of the Romans. So, so they were being very evangelistic in their uh, their effort in their mind. <laughs> so that was the situation. The task of living, promoting, and defending the truth of God's word is a real honor for any child of God, and I think it's it's our responsibility to know it, to learn it. Of course, promoting it in our lives, in our actions, and by the things that we say and do. Because that's what the child of the king should be doing. And as the scripture says in other ways, but as I'm saying right now, I think we need to never, never grow tired of being in God's family. Never grow tired of it. Uh, it's not a burden. It's a responsibility. But it, what kind of a, I use the word blessing. Blessing here, in my understanding, is contentment, is settledness, is a real, uh, uh, it's a place you want to live. You want to live in the blessings of God. And we're not talking anything other than how you feel inside and who you are, who you put yourself to be, purport yourself to be. So those would be my words, uh, comments today uh, on this passage. We'll continue on, Lord willing, next week in the letter until we come to the conclusion of it. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.